I invite you to pray with me for just a moment. Father, there's coming a day when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every knee below the earth. Well, all of heaven's creation and all of earth's inhabitants and all of those who are in the underworld, Lord, will bow knees and every mouth will open and every tongue will confess. Lord Jesus, you are God and Savior and Lord of all, and that you are exalted and worthy of all worship and praise. Father, we're grateful today because of the work of your Spirit and your Word, your Gospel and your grace and your sheer mercy, Lord, that you have called each of us in a personal way and have drawn us unto yourself and have produced a new spiritual birth, a new life in us, Lord, and we will forever praise you and worship you and thank you, Lord, for giving us a gift that we never could have ever deserved. And Lord, I pray this morning with my church family, Lord, for those who, who have never come to that place of repentance of their sins and have not come to a place where they've placed all of their trust and their faith and their belief and their hope in you, and they're lost, and they are condemned in their sins. While we worship you here this morning, Lord, we we pray that you'd speak to us and that you'd encourage us and that, Lord, we would be salt and light when go from this place, Lord, and be kind to people and to be ready to make a defense for the hope that we have in us, Lord, that we would reach those in this community and to the nations who are lost. And may we always be mindful, Lord, of that mission that you've entrusted to us and help us to be faithful and to hear you say to us one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we pray for that. So Lord, would you choose to speak to us and minister to us through your word today and lead us to those areas of our lives where we need to make some change to be more in compliance with your word and to, to be walking by faith. So would you speak to us today, Lord, and minister to us for your glory and your glory alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Colossians chapter 4. And as Don mentioned earlier, that we're going to finish this message series from these uh, four chapters of Colossians. Uh, we've been focusing really, and we sang about it. Uh, and I love uh, the song on uh, 
whatever the name of that song was, he's it's from Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. It's really, it's a gospel song about the, the majesty of Christ Jesus, and I just appreciate that song. This morning as I speak, I have really a twofold purpose, two aims in mind, and one is I want to take a few minutes, and I'll do this very quickly, but I want to go through the book of Colossians and just kind of give a, a general outline again of this book uh, to provide uh, again the bigger picture as we finish today. And then second, I want to close with a very practical challenge that we find here at the, the very end of Paul's letter. And so just to review, if you go back, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you bring your Bible with you every week, uh, um, I always think about my Bible as, my, as a tool, and, and so uh, those of you who are craftsmen, uh, you would never go to work today without your tools. And those of you who might work in offices, well, it's, it's your computer. So the, for us, a Christian, this, this is, our, this is our, our map, this is our tool, and that God works uh, to, through to speak to us. And so if you have your Bible, I hope you do that. I want you to go back with me to chapter 1 and just, just to kind of let your eyes see the text again and just to refresh our, our minds a little bit about uh, what, what Paul has said here. So verse 1, Paul, an apostle, an apostle, one sent by God, a messenger, and he says, to all the saints, the faithful brethren at Colossae. And so he's, Paul, writing to the members of this Colossian congregation, and he says three things to them to encourage them. One, he says, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for who you are, that God has saved you, and I'm so thankful for the way that God has chosen to work through you. Second, he says, I'm praying for you in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 3. Also in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I'm praying always for you, verse 9, to do not cease to pray for you. So he's praying for them, to encourage them. And then third, he says, I'm, I'm urging you to recapture your focus on the gospel. You once were focused on Jesus, and, and perhaps this church had drifted, and so Paul is saying, I want you to refocus on Jesus. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. He lays the foundation here for the gospel. He is the one who created you and gave you life. He's the one who delivered you from death. He's the one who redeemed you from your sins through the blood of his cross. And he is the one who holds all things together, which includes you and includes me. He holds us together, holds it all together. Listen, when you feel like your life is coming unraveled and you don't know what tomorrow holds, maybe you're not even sure what today is going to hold for you, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who redeemed you and loves you and saves you, he is with you and he'll hold you together. He's faithful and he'll get you through. Paul's message to them is get focused again on the gospel. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have no spiritual target, I guarantee you, you are sure to hit it. Paul is saying, be clear on the bullseye. For you and I as Christ followers, that bullseye is to focus on Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2. Read with me the first three verses. Chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 3. I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. 
And those in Laodicea, and as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of of Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look at verse 6 and 7. And as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, live in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And so what he's saying there is focus on Jesus every day, continuously. That's the target. He says, grow rich, grow rich in the knowledge of Christ and how inexhaustible he is, the riches of Christ. He says, having a deep assurance of your salvation. Ephesians, that's assurance of salvation. Paul describes it in Ephesians 6 and says, when he's describing spiritual warfare, he says, the believer is to put on the helmet of salvation. And he's kind of depicting that you and I are going off into battle every day, spiritual warfare. And that helmet of salvation needs to be tightly fixed. It needs to be locked down upon our heads. And so he's saying, be sure of who you are. Be sure of, uh, of your salvation. When I was a small boy, I didn't think about this at the time, but learned songs growing up in church. And, and one of the songs was about assurance of our salvation as a child. Uh, how many of you ever learned that little song, If You're Happy and You Know It? Anybody ever learned that song? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Then you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Then, what's the second one? If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. And then third verse, if you're happy and you know it, say amen. And if you're happy and you know it, the fourth verse is do all three. And, and you and say amen. We even had a fourth verse. I think sometimes we'd have them spin around. You know, that was a song I learned. It was theologically sound from Colossians 2. If you know you're saved, then live like it. Then live like it. It's a, it was a song of assurance. And then as adults, we sing all kinds of songs about assurance. I remember growing up here in the choir in my church. In times like these, you need a Savior. Anyone ever hear that? In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure that your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. He's the one. This rock is Jesus, God's only son. Be sure, be very sure that your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. It's a song of salvation. And then the hymn, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. God is faithful to hold us and keep us. An assurance of salvation every day. Paul writes, just as if you've received Christ, walk in him, live in Christ, Christ in you, you in Christ every day, rooted in him, built up in him, established in the faith, abounding in your salvation with thanksgiving. And so here this, there's this, this call, he's urging them to be focused on the gospel. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 1, he says, seek him. It's continuous and imperfect tense in the Greek. Seek him, which means continuously seek Jesus. Verse 2, continually set your mind on things above instead of all the things of the earth. And 
We certainly need to be and have to pay attention to things and family and life and finances and work and education and all the things that we saturate our minds with. But Paul says, make sure that you're setting your, seeking Christ and you're setting your minds on eternal things, things above. Look at verses 5 through 9 of chapter 3. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but not anymore. Verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. He says in verse 10, to put on this new man, put on the new you. Right? If any man is in Christ, any woman's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed. All things have become new. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. So put this new person on. Look at verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness. Are you kind? Humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint, even against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do, forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body and one and be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in all psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord and whatever you do. As a follower of Jesus Christ, do it in word and deed and all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so to summarize, he's saying to followers of Christ, refocus on Jesus every day. Set your mind on him. Take aim every day. What's my target today? My target is when I go out, the, even before I go out the front door, when my feet hit the floor, my target today is to focus on Jesus. To walk with the assurance of my salvation, to remember who I am as a follower of Christ and to live for him every day and to set my mind on things above. And then he says, second, in chapter 3, and I'm not going to read it, but starting in verse 18, he says, after you do that, he says, then start working on relationships. How many of you would say, Brother Charlie, I, I know God's got some work for me to do in that area. There's some relationships that need some attention in my life. Maybe with my spouse, I as a husband, I need to get to work and love my wife as Christ loved the church. And some of our wives need to say, Lord, I've got some work to do. My attitude is not right towards my husband. And so he says, focus on Jesus and work on relationships. Parents with kids, kids with parents, work on relationships in the workplace on the job, in school, work on relationships. 
Some of us got some work to do. And then he says, after that, he says, we need to spend time with God in, in his word and in prayer for him to control the way we communicate. And he specifically talks about the importance of our words, things that we say. Remember at the end of chapter four, he says, ah, that our speech would be seasoned, seasoned by the gospel, seasoned with grace, that our words would be used by God to bless people, to build up people, to encourage people, um, and especially when they don't deserve it. Amen, grace. We're just saturated by the gospel. And then this is what I want to close with this morning, just kind of practically having reviewed all of that. He says, and this is, this is the message this morning, as you do all of that, as a believer, as a follower, what Paul is going to close with is a message that he's saying, don't try to do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. And we're going to see, you're going to need some friends, some Christian friends, some people that you can connect with and some Christian friends that you can be accountable to. And this really is the heart of what Paul is saying here. If you have a desire to maximize your life, to be focused on Jesus, then the text conveys you better surround yourselves with others who are determined to do the same thing. Um, it's called Christian community. It's about getting connected with God and then getting connected with others. I, uh, I was thinking about when I was growing up in high school and I got into my later years of high school and some of the guys that I ran with were not the kind of guys that were going to do anything to edify my relationship with Christ. And I remember my mom was always on me, always on me. Well, you know, when I would go out and getting together with my buddies and where are you going and who are you with and she'd, she'd get on to me about them and she'd say well, and she'd raise questions we'd make me so mad I'd get into an argument with her and I'd always tell her I said mom I'm, uh, I'm not influenced by those guys I'm still going to do the, you know do the things that I know to do in the back of my mind she was right you know you, you become like those you run with and she was she was dead on spot on she was concerned and the opposite, the flip side of that coin is if, if we want to grow in Christ, we need to surround ourselves with the right kinds of people for support and, so, and for encouragement. And so read the text with me this morning. We'll close. Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Look at what Paul writes here. Powerful message here. He says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, Faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. And he's saying here in verse 9, along with Tychicus, I am sending with him Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They, these two brothers, Tychicus and Onesimus, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome Mark, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, 
These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. And he's referring to these last three guys there, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who is called Justice. They were the only Jews. And you remember, Paul was a Jew, and his heart's desire was for his Jewish brethren to be saved. And of all the people who worked with him and served the Lord with him, only these three brothers, only these three brothers were of the Jewish party of the circumcision and had to be so sad to Paul that only these three, verse 12, Epaphras, Epaphras is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. He greets you always. And I love the way that Paul describes to the church of Colossae, Epaphras. He was a former member who had ministered to Paul there in Rome as he writes. And he says this about him. He's, he, he greets you and Epaphras is always laboring fervently for you in prayers. This is even better. This is his prayer that you may stand. Stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are also in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, Nymphus, and the church that is in his house. Paul provides a list of names here. Eight brothers, nine if you had Barnabas. Nine brothers here that he had served the Lord with. Companions that he had labored and worked with, guys that he was thankful for, guys who had been in the spiritual trenches with him in the Lord. If you go back to the very beginning of this letter in chapter one, we saw that Paul was a he was a team guy. He was a team player. He wasn't a lone ranger. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we, we gave thanks for you. In verse 4, we heard of your faith. Verse 7, Paul mentions Epaphras then and, and, and refers to him as one of our plural fellow servants. Verse 8, who told us about your love. Verse 9, and for this reason, we also, since the day we have heard about you, do not, we do not cease to give thanks for you. And if you look at that, it's all plural. It's all in the plural usage, we, us, our. So the lesson is Paul is, as a follower of Christ, is connected with other Christians. He's surrounded by brothers. He's not doing this by himself. The apostle Paul did not live a spiritually isolated life. Instead, he was connected. He was connected with other brothers in the gospel. Christ, Christ brought them together and they built relationships as servants of the Lord and they worked together and they served the Lord together and they got along and they cooperated for the most part. Paul was connected with brothers in Christ. He developed Christian friendships and he served Christ in community. From the text, Paul is in prison. He's older now. His, his life is about gone. And as you read this letter, especially this closing, and now just think about it, if you read over in his second letter to Timothy, and he says, the time of my departure is at near. 
A life is about to be poured out as an offering unto the Lord. He knows that he's about to die. And you get this, you know, this pastoral tone from him, this, this heart, his, his heart, his, his feelings and his love for these other brothers and for these saints. It starts to come through and it's very, very warm. And here he begins sharing appreciation that he has for his brothers in Christ. I want you to notice you have your, continue to have your Bible open here in our text in verses 7 and 8. Let's just, let's just kind of walk through these very quickly, and then we'll, at the very end, we'll make some application from this. But he says, I, I'm, I've been connected with Tychicus. He's a beloved brother. He's a fellow servant. He's been faithful. You put it into modern language. Here's what Paul said about Tychicus. He said, man, I love this guy. I love Tychicus. He served with me and he's never let me down. Tychicus has been devoted. He's traveled with me. If you study the book of Acts and he's even been with me in prison and he's been a true, defendable brother in the Lord. And I love this guy. I love Tychicus. And I'm sending him to you to let you know how I'm doing and so that you can know how to pray for me. And I'm also sending him to you so that he can check on you and he's to comfort you and to encourage you. But I love Tychicus. What a brother. And he says, and I'm connected to Onesimus. Verse 9, not only am I sending Tychicus to you, but also Onesimus is with him. And if you know the Bible, Onesimus had a past a runaway slave from Philemon, a a fugitive hiding out in Rome, and somehow God brings Onesimus together with the apostle Paul, and and Onesimus hears Paul share the gospel. Onesimus gets saved. And Paul describes Onesimus like Tychicus. He says, oh, a faithful and beloved brother. And when he arrives there, Onesimus is going to tell you about all that is happening here. And just like Tychicus, I love this guy. Onesimus has changed. He's devoted to Christ. You remember what Paul, how he described Onesimus as he wrote back to Philemon? He's changed. He's devoted to Christ. He's a new kind of creature. He's been dependable to me. Uh, Onesimus has always had my back. And he can tell you about what we're seeing God do here in Rome. And in verse 10, we read that Paul is connected to Aristarchus, a man full of compassion. These brothers are in prison together. Perhaps Aristarchus too had been persecuted. Aristarchus had been suffering for the sake of, of the gospel with Paul. And Paul says to the Colossians, Aristarchus wants me to let you know that he sends his greetings and he sends his best wishes. And Aristarchus cares about you and considers you to be brothers and sisters in Christ even though he's never met you. Verse 10, Paul says, and I'm connected with a young guy named John Mark. 
John Mark was the first cousin of Barnabas. And you remember in Acts chapter 13 when the church is praying and the church is fasting and the Holy Spirit speaks to the church and it's the basis for modern day missions to the church and the Holy Spirit says to the church, I want you to pick, to pick out the very best in your church, the cream of the crop and pick out Barnabas and pick out uh, Saul, Paul, and I want you to send them to the nations. And as they go out on their first evangelistic missionary church planning campaign, you remember Barnabas takes his first cousin, John Mark, with him. And he's with Paul now in, in Rome in prison. Paul is connected to John Mark. You remember when Paul and Barnabas and John Mark go out on this first campaign, they, things get pretty tough and they're suffering and going through a lot of hardships and they're on a, a, a voyage and they're sail, sailing and things are just rough. And Paul describes it on some days they didn't have anything to eat. Some days they had some, but they just were going through some real difficult times. And you remember what John Mark does? The Bible says things get pretty tough and pretty difficult. And so he throws in the towel and he said, I've had enough. And he quits. And he abandons Paul. He abandons Barnabas. And later, the apostle Paul has nothing to do with John Mark. Paul was a guy, he, he, he wrote him off. He wrote John Mark off as a failure, as a loser, a spiritual zero, somebody who was a quitter, a guy that you would not want to be in the trenches with you because he'll let you down. He won't have your back. And so Paul says, I want nothing to do with John Mark. But now, they're together. It kind of appears that the grace of God had begun to work both in John Mark to learn from his mistake and learn from his past. Some of you can say, oh, Pastor Charlie, I've, I've made some mistakes, a lot of mistakes in my past, and God has used those and he's redeemed those, and, and I've learned some lessons from those. Amen. John Mark was that kind of guy, and, and God had also worked in the Apostle Paul not to be so hard and not to be so unforgiving towards John Mark, and they were reconnected reconciled in the gospel. And at the end of verse 10, Paul says to the Colossians, hey, if John Mark arrives there, I want you to make sure, you remember we've given you some instructions, if he gets there, I want you guys not to write him off either. I want you as a church not to be so hard on him. He's made some mistakes. He knows he's made some mistakes. And so you church, if he comes there, welcome him, receive him. And I hope that we as a congregation would always be willing to give people second chances. Not to pigeonhole people and to write them off because of mistakes they've made in the past. Aren't you thankful that God didn't do that to any of us? This last week, or the, maybe the week before, and things that we still do, ways we still sin, God doesn't ever divorce us. He doesn't ever write us off. And so that's the message to the church. Hey, you guys, give him a break. Give him a second chance. Be gracious to John Mark. There's a friend of mine I love dearly, a brother in the Lord. And some couple of years ago, he was sharing with me about some, and, and I know him well, and, and uh, he's like me and like any of us, none of us are perfect. And he had joined this church where he and his wife are members, and he met with a pastor, and he shared with the pastor about some of his struggles and some of his sins. And he was pretty transparent with the pastor. And, 
And ever since that time, he's never been asked to serve ever again. He's kind of been shunned. Feels like they've kind of written him off. Never been allowed to be in any kind of leadership role or position because he was transparent and he opened and he shared some things. And so that he'd kind of been pigeonholed and kind of written off. You know what that would, you know what that would say to me if I was in a church like that? It would say to me, hey, be careful. Don't ever be open. Don't ever be transparent. Don't ever be real. Don't ever be genuine because if you do, you're going to get written off around this place. You know, um, well, I'm not going to say this. I'll move on. The apostle Paul and John Mark were reconciled. They both grew in grace. Paul is admonishing the Colossian church to do the same thing, to accept him. Then in verse 11, we see Paul is connected to a guy called Jesus, uh, called Justice. And Jesus was a pretty common name in the first century. And if, you know, if I was a Christian back then and I was a follower of Christ and my name was Jesus, I'd probably want to gone to wherever I needed to go back then and get my name changed. I, I wouldn't have wanted to be <laughs> called Jesus, you know. But Paul says of this guy, this brother, he's a fellow worker. He's a servant. We both are fellow Jews of the circumcision party. He's labored with me, doing great kingdom gospel work. And he's just been a great source of, of encouragement to my life. And then in verse 12, Paul lists another. He said, I'm also connected to Epaphras. You all remember Epaphras, right? He's from Colossae. And what a servant Epaphras has been to me. And Papyrus knew I was writing this letter and he wanted me to make sure that he sends his greetings and his loves to you. And, and I just, again, love the way that Paul describes Epaphras as he's praying and about his home church. He says, he's always laboring for you fervently in prayer that you may stand. Stand, have a, have a good standing before the Lord. And he describes that stand that you would be perfect or mature that you'd be complete, fully assured, per, fully persuaded and walking in all of the will of God. What a great prayer. They would stand and be found perfect and fully persuaded in all the will of God. Paul says, I can tell you why he's laboring so fervent for, for, fervently for you in prayer. As he says, because in verse 13, he has a great zeal for you. In other words, he's passionate about his his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says that Paul says, I've witnessed it. He, he labors fervently in prayer for you. Listen, one of the best things that you can do for your church family is to pray. To pray for your church family. And then finally in verse 15, Paul mentions his connections with Luke. And you remember he and Luke were close friends. Luke had become a medical missionary at this point. And, and he closes also with Demas. Demas that relationship is pretty interesting. Demas was a brother who had been saved and had committed his life to Christ, and he had been faithfully serving the Lord and serving with Paul, both uh, during, most likely during both of Paul's Roman imprisonments and had traveled with Paul Demas. But it's kind of a, a sad word that you find in the Bible about Demas. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, but Demas got off track. He got off track. And Paul says, Demas forsake, forsook me. He deserted me, and he said he did so because of his love for the world. 
his love for the, love for the world. Paul loved him and he saddened by his, he turned and he didn't, he didn't finish the race. He didn't finish the course. And the lure of the world began to tug on his heart and so he abandoned Paul and the work of the Lord. And when you read these verses, and you just read over this, and you read these names, none of these are very prominent brothers, maybe except for Luke and Onesimus. And so you, we read a text like this, and we just read these names and few details that Paul says about these brothers, and we completely overlook the context. Because in the first chapter, Paul writes to them and he says, we and our and us, he's talking about his brothers. And then here he's referring to these same brothers, these brothers that he's been serving with. And here at the end of this letter, he recognizes who these guys are. He does the same thing in his final pastoral letter to Timothy. At the very end of, the, end of his life, sitting in a Roman prison cell about to be beheaded for the gospel, he writes to Timothy and he says, Oh, Timothy, if you can, be diligently to come to me. And if you can, bring my cloak, bring the scrolls. And if you can, Timothy, come and see me here. Be, get here before winter. And then he begins to mention some of the additional brothers that he had served the Lord with. And he mentions Crescens and Titus and Aquila and Erastus and Trophimus and Eubulus and Putins and Linus and Claudia. And, he risked, and then he says, and all the other brethren. And so you read this and you begin to realize that Paul is connected he is deeply connected as a follower of Christ, as an apostle, one living on mission for Jesus. He's not serving Jesus by himself. He's not trying to do ministry by himself. He's focused on Christ, focused on his salvation, rooted and grounded in the gospel, and he's working with other brothers. And these brothers are communicating and they're talking with each other and listening to one another and praying with each other and praying for with one another and blessing one another, building one another up in the Lord. And, and so the key, this, this is the message. He's, he's not trying to follow Jesus by himself. If you go back to Genesis, you see God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Godhead is connected. The Godhead is in relationship, and the Godhead is working together in unity. God the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're not working independently. There's cooperation. And after God creates man, God says it's not good for man to be what? Alone, not to be isolated, and something's missing. And, and so God went back to work, and he created a woman, both man and the woman, both created in God's image, meaning they were both designed to interact socially with each other and with God. 
God brings them together in, in the most basic of all human relationships. They enter into the covenant of marriage. And while God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Spirit communicate and work together as one, Adam and Eve also communicate with each other and they walk with God and they enjoy intimacy and friendship with each other. Point is, all of us were created to be social, socially active, connected with people, with family with friends, with one another, and with a community of faith. Moses, in addition to his family of Zipporah and Gershop and his boys Eliezer, he also had Jethro and Hur and Aaron and Joshua. God calls Abraham as, and his family to be the founder of his, of his people, and those people were connected. Connected. And they were to worship together and work together and witness together as the people of God. You see, the, the point is God designed us to be social and to serve him in community. Jesus himself interacted with his heavenly father and shared life with 12 disciples. He enjoyed friendships with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and spent time in their home having meals. He was even close to Peter and James and John, even closer to those three brothers. In Acts chapter 1, the first Christians met together in one another's homes and they shared meals together and they were connected. And so in this text, it's pretty obvious that the apostle Paul is surrounded by brothers in the Lord. And so the question for application this morning is, what about you? Who are you connected with? You men in this church, brothers, you're, you're, you're a Christ follower. Who are the brothers in Christ that you're connected with? And when you're struggling and you're down, you can call on them or you can say, hey, I, I need to meet. And you, you've got some brothers who've got your back. They, 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 they're, just, they're there with you. Who are you connected with? I've done this long enough to know that many of you are not connected to anybody. You're just kind of out there winging it, flailing around, floundering around on your own. And you're busy. I know you're busy. You're working and you're trying to take care of your wife and your family and you're, you're in the trenches and you're going through stuff at work. But listen, you, you're disconnected. And what's even worse is some of you have not learned yet that there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to need brothers. You live long enough and you'll get there. When you feel like everything in your life is crumbling in on you and your work's not going well and you're struggling in your marriage and your kids just, you seem like your kids don't want to have anything to do with you. And, you know, I went through that. All my girls felt like they were embarrassed to my, their dad, you know. And you just, yeah, you just go through stuff and you, you're going to realize you need some brother. And everything I'm saying about men and brothers applies to women. Probably even more. Because you sisters in Christ have to put up with these men. And so your, your job's even harder. There's a huge difference between being a Christian and being saved and trying to live a Christian life on your own, isolated. And it's completely different when you're trying to do it in community, connected and accountable. Uh, some of you, you know, reading recently and listening to this news about Ravi Zacharias and was a great hero, champion in the faith. And after his death, some things have come out about Ravi Zacharias, which are grievous. 
And one of the problems is that some of these guys who are prominent authors and speakers, they get on this Christian circuit and this speaking tour and they're disconnected from any church and they're not accountable in any brothers. And they get themselves into trouble. We need accountability. People who know us, who can speak the gospel into us from time to time and say, hey dude, uh, I think you, you got you know, something here and this doesn't sound right. Keep you in check. The message is this morning for you to get connected. To get connected in relationships. I pray that every little kid in this church, every little kid, if you're, little, if you're under 12 years age, hold up your hand. Some girls, some guys here. Look at, you know what? Do you all go to Sunday school? Your mom and dad bring you to Sunday school when we have Sunday school? You know what would be really cool is in your Sunday school class when some little boy comes in there to your Sunday school class or some little girl, and that's the first time they've been in there, and listen, they don't know anybody. What would be really cool is if you were friendly to them and you said, hey, my name is Charlie. What's your name? Can I be your friend? And you build relationships with your friends at church and some of you in student ministry. When another student comes to this church to visit in this youth group, that you be intentional and you reach out to them and introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm glad you're here tonight. Make them feel welcome. You know, if they're visiting in your student ministry, it might be because it's because of a reason. They don't just show up to church for no reason. They might be lonely and having a hard time at home, and their family life may be terrible, and they're they're needing some community. They need somebody to love them and accept them. And you know, you could make a difference. Same thing in adults. Sometimes we we become church broke. And we know where doors to come in and we know where the bathrooms are and we know where to sit and we have friends and somebody else comes in to visit this church for the first time, they don't know anybody. You know, and some people say, well, that's a big old place there and a lot of people and I just, I'm not going to fit in. They're not going to accept me. And maybe there's somebody who's from a pretty rough background, a pretty rough past and they they try church and they try to, you know, maybe there's something to this gospel thing. I think I'll go to church and they come to church and nobody, nobody ever talks to them. Nobody ever reaches out to them. Do you, you think they're going to come back? Relationships, community, reaching out to people, caring for people. I want to challenge you this morning. And, and, and I was thinking about this. You, do you know after the apostle Paul got saved, the Bible says that nobody wanted anything to do with him? Everybody shunned Paul after he got saved. They, it was probably for two reasons. First of all, they were afraid of him like Ananias. When God told Ananias in Acts chapter 9, I want you to go share and go talk to that brother about the gospel. And Ananias said, Lord, I'm not talking to that guy. You know who he is. And there may have been other people who shunned the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul was responsible for the murder and for the deaths and for the persecution of people. And they had, some of them may have been hurt by Paul. Their families had been devastated by some of the persecution. So they wanted nothing to do with him. They wouldn't reach out to them. They wouldn't demonstrate any grace. But Barnabas, 
The Bible says Barnabas reached out to him. Be a Barnabas. Reach out to people. Care for people. I want to challenge you this morning from Scripture, from the Word, from the life of Jesus, from the example of the first century church, from the example of the Apostle Paul's life, to get serious and focused on Christ more than you ever have and begin to build relationships in the gospel. And I can tell you how you can do it. I want to share two things with you. Number one, make a commitment to your church. Make a commitment to your Lord. I'm not talking about just showing up here for worship. Make a commitment to the body of Christ. When you love Jesus, you're going to love the things that Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the body. He loves the church. He died for. Listen, first, make a commitment to the church. And second, be here consistently for worship and get connected into a small group of other believers. Now, I'm going to tell you a great way to do that second part, and we'll close. One of the best ways you can get connected to other people is go to Sunday school. And I have good news to share with you on Sunday morning, March 14th, from 9.15 to 10.15. Uh, Sunday school classes are starting back up. And listen, we're not going back to normal. I, I hope if someday when I die and people come, if anybody comes to my funeral service, I hope that one of the things they never say about me was that guy was normal. I hope they say he was a little weird, a little peculiar, a little bit out there, a little bit different, you know. I don't, I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a part of a normal church. Do you? Normal? We're not going back to normal. If we haven't learned anything through this COVID crisis, if this hasn't shaken us and caused us to think about and, and we haven't realized what all we had and we've taken it all for granted and we just go back to normal, we, we'll, we'll completely miss God. We're not going back to normal. Uh, let's be abnormal. <laughs> so get connected. And I just urge you, don't, don't, don't flounder around on your own spiritually. Get focused on a relationship with other believers. Get connected. Get connected. Get connected. Let's pray.